Hi there, I'm Dan, and welcome or welcome back, maybe, to the Shaw Vineyard Church podcast. Hey, at the end of this episode, please take just a moment to subscribe in iTunes or in your podcast app of choice. That way, you can get every message from our church straight away on whatever device best suits you. You know, it's our hope that the message that you're about to hear in this episode would encourage you to take your best next step in your faith journey. So let's get straight into it. Holy Spirit, would you come and be with us? Come and rest on each one of our hearts. Lord, we love you, we adore you, and we long to follow you. Lord, we thank you this morning for Jackie, for Ian, and for Karen, and for the things that you have been uh, stirring in their lives through their work, through their family, through their relationships, through everything. And Lord, we're so grateful for the opportunity to to hear uh, and to learn and to grow together this morning. Lord, would you open our hearts uh, to the thing that you have for us. Um, Capture us and captivate us, I pray, Lord. Amen. So I'm going to introduce you to Jackie Lloyd. Jackie, yeah, oh, there you go. We're going cheers. Okay. Right on. Well, setting the bar real high there, Makarita. Okay, so Jackie uh, is a theological consultant at Laidlaw College, uh, where she works primarily with uh, other Christian organizations, helping them to clearly articulate who they are and what they do and how that is grounded in Scripture. So she's someone who's very smart, and uh, yep, and uh, and she's deeply passionate about about how the Scripture is experienced uh, and uh, and articulated in our lives. And so Jackie, let's give her a warm round of applause. Yeah, here you go. And she's going to kick things off. G'day. I'm a little bit nervous about this nine-minute thing, so I'll be. So what's that? Nine fifty, ten fifty-five. I need to finish, right? <laughs> um, look, this is um, a real privilege. Calvin asked me a couple of weeks ago, "Would uh, what am I passionate about? Would I talk about that?" And when it really, when I really drilled down to it, it was, you know, I'm passionate about people encountering God through the scriptures, um, encountering Jesus Christ, and then through Christ coming to relationship with God the Father. So that's really uh, what's sort of driven me all through these years. Started out when I was 17, um, and I encountered Jesus and uh, started following him. And at that time, um, the Holy Spirit gave me a real desire to read the scriptures. But you know, the Bible is a big book. And, and I knew I knew very, very little, and it was like it was quite daunting. I knew bits and pieces, and I thought, "How am I ever going to know this whole entire book? Even the pages are so thin you can see through them because there's so much in there." Um, so, but I thought, "Oh well, let's, I just got to start somewhere." And I heard a story about this minister, this uh, preacher who could just flip through, leaf through pages and pages and pages on a topic, and he just knew where all the verses were. And I thought, "Wow, wouldn't it be?" Able be cool to be able to do that. So I started, and um, you know, some people suggested I start in Genesis. Uh, some other people suggested I started with the Gospels. Um, well, for some reason or other, I landed in Isaiah, which is around the middle. Um, I think God spoke through to me through one of the verses there. So I started with Isaiah, who was one of the prophets of ancient Israel, and there I encountered a God who was majestic but also deeply compassionate towards his people. Um, A God who is holy 
and righteous, but who loves people, a God who's just, but also merciful, and um, began to see what God's plan was through history to save his people, redeem his people. And I read some of the promises there that God was going to send someone who would put things right. Everything that had gone wrong was going to put right, that he would be a prince, that he would be a ruler, and he would reign on their behalf and do what none of them had been able to do. So, uh, so that's where it all started. Um, through that, I, I ended up uh, teaching and I, I got trained as a primary school teacher. Um, and it's been a privilege to teach kids uh, for about 11 years in total. Um, and I started in the state sector and then I had an opportunity to teach in a Christian school. And I loved that because I was able to then not only talk about the wonder of creation, but be, be able to point children to the creator um, and help invite them into a relationship with Jesus. So that was a real privilege to be able to do that. But what I noticed with the children is that they only knew bits and pieces of the Bible. So they knew about Jesus. They knew that he died for their sins. They might know about David and Goliath. They might know about Adam and Eve, but it's just little bits here and there. And for all they knew, you know, Jesus could have been um, Jacob's dad or Jonah could have you know, been Noah's son. It was all mixed up and they really had no sense of where God was going in history. So I started writing up a biblical studies curriculum that would take them through the whole story. And as I was doing that, I thought, wow, this is the subject I like more than any other subject. I mean, one of the reasons I chose primary teaching is because I loved science, I loved maths, I loved English, I loved music, I loved art. So why not do a lot of them? I couldn't think of one subject that I just wanted to do that would be my favourite. But as I started working on this stuff, the Bible, and encountering God through scripture, I thought, that's the thing. So, uh, but I still realise there's still so much I don't know. Um, so as it turned out, uh, I ended up, took myself off to Laidlaw College, which was Bible College of New Zealand back in the day. And it was so wonderful. And back in those days, the government still paid us to study. How cool was that? You know, they paid for all our fees and they gave us a little bit to live on as well. Um, so, yeah, I'm so grateful to God for that. Um, and it was just such a blessing to learn some of the historical background, to get to understand what was going on in the time of Isaiah, for example. Why did Isaiah say all these things? Um, and, and that was an incredible blessing. And I also met Makrita there while we were at um, Laidlaw, and that when I'm now living with her, well, in the same house as her, you know. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, we've got to clarify that these days. Um, yeah, so the, the thing is, what, what I've really discovered over the years, oh, and um, I've been teaching at Laidlaw for about 15 years after that, which was just wonderful again, is that um, everything in Scripture, you know, the poetry, the law, uh, the parables, they're all embedded in one overarching grand narrative that takes us from Genesis to revelation, from creation to new creation. And you can break it down into, well, you can break it into a whole heap of chunks, but we've, we're short for time, so let's do four. <laughs> creation, fall, redemption, renewal. And you've got God creating a wonderful universe and a wonderful earth for us to live in and commissioning people to go and make something of it, explore, fill the earth, um, unfold the latent potential in, in creation, care for the creatures, live in right relationship with God, 
Live in right relationship with one another. Love one another. Bless one another. Care for the world that you live in. That's basically it. Real simple. Love God. Love one another. Care for the planet. Use the resources wisely. And that was what God established in the beginning. About three pages in, and it all goes to custard. Um, Suddenly, there's fracture within our relate between our relationship with God. Human beings rebelled. So, in the beginning, God establishes His kingdom, but a few pages in, you've now got rebellion in the kingdom, and people are now flawed, and they're not relating well with one another. They're not relating well with God, and even the creation is suffering as a result of that. And for the next huge chunk of scripture, you've got God working out His plans and purposes to redeem human beings, to get us back on track so that we become and the whole earth become what God intended. Um, we, we, God calls the people of Israel. And even with, um, with Israel, you see again over and over, fall, redemption. Uh, they, they sin again. They turn away from God. God calls them into a relationship with them. He even saves them from slavery. Um, and then, you know, Moses is not even down from the mountain with the Ten Commandments and they're already worshipping another God and not living rightly by one another. You see, fall and God saving them and fall again and redemption again all the way through the Old Testament. Where is it going? Basically, it's all pointing to Jesus. Uh, we think it's going somewhere with the kings, but then they fall as well. And eventually, Jesus comes And he comes to show us what God is truly like. God created us in his image, but we are a flawed image. But Jesus Christ is the image of the invisible God. He's the true image, the one who shows us truly what God is like and uh, draws us into relationship with him. And he's the only one that we can really trust to rule because he's the only one that actually ever lived on behalf of others completely. Um, he was crucified, unjustly tried, confu- crucified, ro- and God rose him from the dead, and he now reigns. Uh, so all of Scripture is leading to Christ. All the Old Testament is pointing towards Christ, and the New Testament reveals Christ and then shows us how we can follow him and where history is going so we can be part of it. Uh, so that's the story, really. Creation, fall, redemption, renewal. And through that, coming to understand who Christ is. Um, image of the invisible God, firstborn of all creation. In him, all things were created. He was there right at the beginning. Um, heaven and, in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible. All thrones, all dominions, all rulers, authorities, all were created through him and for him. He is before all things, and in him, all things hold together. And he's the head of the body, the church, our church. Um, and he is the beginning, the firstborn from the bed, first resurrected from the dead. So in all things, he is preeminent. He now reigns. He is now our Lord, our King. And now we can participate in the story. We can follow him and we can be working now, participating with him, bringing about renewal, restoration, reconciliation, helping heal this broken world until Christ returns. So that's my passion. (laughs) Thank you. All right. Feel free to have your own stopwatches out. I won't tell you what's showing on mine. Let's, let's, crack, uh, let's crack straight into the next one. I want to introduce you to Ian now. Uh, Ian's been coming to Shaw Vineyard for about a year with his wife. Oh, yeah, there you go. 
right on. Woo. Uh, with his wife, Deborah, their daughters, Phoebe and Lara, and now their foster son, Jarman. <laughs> but he's also spent some time in the Methodist and Baptist traditions, and so now he's just here in the big melting pot that is the vineyard, and so we're so grateful for him. So Ian, thank you. Thank you. Morning, everyone. Oh, that was a lovely welcome. It's kind of like being on the X Factor. How many yeses do I need? Sort of 93 or something like that. Anyway, well, I was asked as well to talk about my passion, and unfortunately, it won't be quite as theologically good as, as the one we just had. But my passion um, lies, um, I have lots of passions, but one of my primary passions lies in um, child protection. I thought that was quite a safe topic, because I didn't think there'd be many people who would go, oh, that's a rubbish thing. What's, you, you can't be passionate about children being safe. So I thought I'd stick with that. And, and I also thought I would talk about um, this amazing thing that our God can do in making good things out of bad things. And that's kind of tied in a bit with, with that child protection stuff. So I thought I'd tell you a little bit about my life. So, um, so I, I grew up in the northeast of England. Anybody else here? No. No, Deborah, of course. Um, so I'm from the really rough part of a, of, a, of a really rough kind of rubbish town in the northeast of England. Um, um, I, I married Deborah, who's from the posh part of, of that town, as you can probably tell. And... Um, so I grew up in this, in this little place called South Pelo. Now, um, my, my father left home when I was um, about two, I think. And um, unfortunately, my, f- my mother took up with a chap who was incredibly unpleasant. And he was, he was very bullying um, and very abusive. Now, don't worry, I'm not going to cry. I'm, I'm English, I have no um, emotions in anyone, any of them. <laughs> Any that I have, I just repress really well. So, um, so, I, so, so I grew up in this, in this dreadful household, and it, it was pretty grim. And, um, yeah, I mean, I mean he, was, he was mainly uh, emotionally abusive, um, but also physically abusive. And, look, I know that I will share this kind of story with... Statistics tell me that I probably share the, a similar story with probably 20, 30% of the people in this room. So, you know... Um, that's kind of where things are at. And, um, and so growing up in this, this household, it left me, um, as I got older, it left me with quite a chip on my shoulder. I was a very unhappy person, um, a, a person who became, I think, quite arrogant, um, quite unpleasant. And, and, and in my late teens, early 20s, um, you know, I spent a lot of my time drinking and all that kind of stuff, womanizing. I wasn't very good at womanizing. I sort of tried it, but um, yeah, it didn't get very far. Um, and eventually Deborah took pity on me. So, so, um, so that's, that's kind of how I got to my late, late, 20, uh, late, sorry, late teens, early 20s. And um, I had this amazing experience with Jesus. And I'm conscious we've got a very short period of time, so I can't take you to the depths of that. But I had this bizarre thing. Um, it, it was one night, I, I think it was my 21st birthday, and I um, got really drunk with my mates and got locked in a nightclub, um, which was, was bad. But that was actually a real low point for me. I realized that my life was a complete mess. And there was lots of stuff associated with that. But my life was a mess. And I'd love to say that I had this 
more um, sort of sexy way of becoming a Christian. But I, end, I, I ended up waking up on a, Saturday, on a Sunday morning and with this absolute compulsion to go to church. That's what it was. And I went and I heard this message of Jesus and I was transfixed by it. And for me, I just thought, this is completely true. This is completely right. Jesus is who he says he is. And that's how it was for me. Not, nothing more tricky than that. That's just how it was. And I started this journey. And I think that the main things in my early Christian life was this understanding of a God who is a father, who is a good father, and a God who loves us unconditionally. I also got to grips with this thing called forgiveness. Now, forgiveness is a tricky thing, isn't it? And it probably took me 15 years to forgive this man. Right? And even now, like I'll be on the phone to my mother and I can hear his voice in the background and I just want to stab him to death. <laughs> right? Now, this is where living 14,000 miles away is probably quite useful. <laughs> and I've just realised I spent 20 minutes before the service talking to a police officer. So he's, he's probably here. So, so that's not a good thing. But... um. But there's this amazing thing of, of this Father God who is a good, good Father and a God who forgives us and who leads us into a life of forgiveness. So to my next thing of good out of bad, well, you see, my life was, was pretty bad. And I mean, obviously, I'm trying to sort of keep it light, but it was really bad. It was really bad. And I think that God has done something Good with that bad. Romans 8. And we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. So I work in child protection now. I'm a lawyer. I primarily work with children who are in need of care and protection, kids who are in care. And I know that God has taken that bad stuff and made it good. Because when I'm sitting with a child or a young person and they're telling me about all the crap stuff in their lives, I totally get it. In a way that other people don't. You know. when, people, when kids talk to me about this constant feeling of anxiety in a household, I totally get it. When they're telling me about adults who should be looking after them, treating them like crap, and how that makes them feel, and how that affects every molecule of their lives I totally get it even little things like I remember my grandmother my, di my dear grandmother was the most unhygienic um, person I've ever met and I was actually recently at this house it was absolutely filthy and I made this stupid comment on the way in oh not too much chicken for me Kuya and so she brought me this huge bowl of boil-up and I could see the stains around and I was like, oh no. And I thought to myself, look, I've eaten loads of things in my grandma's house and I'm not dead yet. 
so I ate it. I absolutely enjoyed it. And I think even that was a little example of how God can make the stuff in our lives that has been um, bad good. Um, we, we're now, the next limb of our lives is um, we're, we're looking after a little boy, Jarman, who you, some of you have seen. So we've, we've been on this journey for about a year. He came to live with us about three weeks ago, and he will live with us until he can live on his own. Um, and I think that that's part of this narrative, part of this story of God, in that, you know, I know what it's like to live in a house where it's just awful in me, and thankfully something in my wife, which goes, we want to do something about that. Look, and people say, you know, oh, that's an amazing thing, and you're a hero, and all that's absolute nonsense. It's not that at all, okay? It's just about responding to the call of God, to the things of God. You know, that's God's heart, isn't it? He's a good, good father. And he wants to be able to, to move in our lives and use our lives, which includes using the good stuff, but also using the bad stuff. So I think I need to land. But, um, I, you know, what is, it, what is it for you guys? I don't know. You know, I just felt compelled to share that story. I'm happy to. You know, I'm happy to. Um, I think it's really important that we share our stories with each other. Um, but I guess I would say to you, you know, um, God is um, trustworthy. You know, into your hands we can place our stuff, our brokenness, you know, along with our joys. But we can place our sorrows, our brokenness, our wants, our desires. And when we place them into God's hands, we're placing them into safe hands. Safe hands. And we can trust God to do good stuff. And so I guess my parting shot would be, you know, go for that. You know, if there's stuff in your life, if there's brokenness, if there's a lack of forgiveness or trust, those are the hands that you can place that stuff in. And there's something somewhere that says, the one who calls you is faithful. And he will do it. All right. I'll stop there. <laughs> All right. Thank you, Ian. Well, rolling straight into it, the final one for today. We have Karen Grogan. Karen's 34. She's married to Sean, two kids, Xavier, who's seven, and Alice, who's four. They've been coming to Shaw Vineyard since the beginning of last year. Um, they live in Torbay, and Karen works part-time in a funding administrative role at the Parenting Place. So we're very lucky to have her with us this morning. So put it, your hands together for Karen. Tēnā koutou katoa. Firstly, thank you to the leadership for trusting me with this. I, I see it as a privilege and I'm grateful. Um, for the rest of you, I have been preparing for weeks, but don't worry, if I'm terrible, then it'll be over in nine minutes. <laughs> um, I want to share with you a journey I've been on over the last few years. Uh, to start back at the beginning, I grew up in Monaco with my mum and my dad and my two brothers, one older, one younger, one might be watching somewhere. <laughs> Um, my upbringing was fun. I had lots of space to run around. Um, it was privileged and it was most importantly full of love. 
Um, but it was also quite dysfunctional and filled with conflict and criticism, lots of yelling. Um, my mum is a very social, gregarious personality. Um, my dad was similarly sociable, full of life, charismatic, and my older brother's a combination of all of the above. <laughs> um, but eventually that dysfunctional side of life uh, won, and when I was 19, my parents divorced. Um, and four years ago, in 2015, my dad died very suddenly and shockingly. It rocked my world to the core, but now, four years later, I can talk about the lessons that I've learned through walking through that valley. Um, grief is a big topic, and I know I'm not the only one that's been through it. Uh, many of us have, and newsflash, if you haven't, just hold on, because one day you will. <laughs> um, we all die, it's part of being human. Um, and as much as I'm making light of it, um, the year following my dad's death, there he is, um, was incredibly difficult. Um, so much so that that time of life is a bit of a blur. Um, I think having a six-month-old and a three-year-old at the time didn't help with that. Um, but poor Sean, he didn't really know what to do with me and I didn't know what to do with me. Um, he and my two brothers were a big support, but other than that, um, I really fell, fell into a pattern of what I thought I had to do, and, and that was to keep it inside. Um, I felt that unless someone brought up the subject of my dad, I wasn't allowed to talk about him. Um, and I was so hurt by the realisation that I think, like a lot of us have discovered, that our culture really doesn't do grief very well. I felt that emptiness, the hole that Dad left, and I felt like no one mentioned his name or talked about him anymore. Before Dad died, I'd thought grief was a time period that you went through, and then you emerge on the other side to resume your normal life. Um, now I walk down the road, and I know that there are people all around me, some uh, on some stage of that grief process. Um, there's no outward mark of it. Um, I'd also thought that grief was just sadness. I thought it was um, uncontrollably bursting into tears. And while I was deeply sad, for me it was more expressed as anger, um, bitterness and resentment and anger, um, not at Dad, um, not, at, not even at God, but just at, at everything, at everyone, at, at society. Um, and grief silenced me. I had so many of those ugly and mean thoughts directed at myself and at others that I didn't want to share that negativity with other people, and so I just kept it inside, and it made me really isolated. Uh, at 2000, uh, in 2017, I went on a course called Soul Tour. Um, briefly, it's a week-long course, and it um, is a mix of psychology and theology. It came along just at the right time for me. And um, part of that process was to do StrengthsFinder. I know that the staff here have done StrengthsFinder. And my top strengths are um, characterised by intellectual activity. So thinking and gathering information and collecting ideas and strategising and a lot of introspection. So how that looks practically is that I devour information all around me with the goal of utilising it to help myself and to help other people. Um, so I read books and articles, I listen to podcasts in my downtime, I inhale church sermons, I seek people's advice, I get stirred by music, and then I do all those things that input into me, and then I think about it all. <laughs> I think a lot. Um, and somewhere around that time, someone gave me the analogy of open... Oh, that's wrong. 
that one. Open and closed lakes. And as it was described to me, a lake must have even levels of water running into it and running out of it in order to be healthy. Um, an open lake, like the beautiful one at the top there. A closed lake has water running into it, but no outflow. And they're the lakes that don't sustain much life. Uh, doing research for this, I, I did dive into a bit of a Wikipedia wormhole about lakes and rivers and um, a lot of stuff that I don't have time for today, but if you want to, see me later and we can nerd out about tributaries and river flow and lake geography and all that stuff. Um, I came to realise that I needed to match up my outflow with my inflow. They were nowhere near even. So I had all this input coming in because of what I was saying before, the strengths that I like to um, gather information. But my grief and its accompanying anger and bitterness had silenced me. There was no outflow to my lake. I was a closed lake, stale and stagnant and blocked from the future that God wanted for me. Uh, I started to seek out ways to express myself and those unique strengths that I'd discovered. One of my realisations was that as an adult, I'm different from my extrovert family, and that's okay. I can bring what I have, and people actually appreciate that. God calls us to, as the tagline of this church says, love God and love others. You don't need charm or charisma or to be an extrovert to love God and to love others. A verse that speaks to me about that is John 2, 20, uh, 12, 24. Anyone who holds on to life just as it is destroys that life. But if you let it go, reckless in your love, you'll have it forever, real and eternal. Which for me means let it go. Be open with your love and share yourself with the world. Be an open lake. Uh, there's a joy, uh, story in John 2 about Jesus at a wedding in Cana when he turned water into wine. He asked the servants to fill some water jars and then he turned that water into wine. Those water jars, they were just what people used to wash with. Uh, they were by the door, People every time people came into the house, people didn't notice them. Then Jesus used them to work a miracle. I think I'm pretty ordinary, yet I know God can still use me. I'm not special, but I am unique. Jesus teaches, if we're faithful with the little, God will trust us with the much. Our own qualities can feel very little to us, feel very ordinary to us. But God doesn't need us to prove ourselves. He doesn't need us to perform for him or to be someone else. I'm convinced that he loves it when he sees us being ourselves. So where did all this revelation lead to? Coming from a broken family myself with, a, with its conflict and its dysfunction and ultimately my parents' divorce and then losing my dad, who was a brilliant dad, helped me discover the passion I have for parenting and for families. I think if we can get parenting and relationships right, and by right I mean um, mostly right, as right as we can, <laughs> beautifully broken, stuffing up on a daily basis, averagely sort of right, because we're human at the end of the day, um, then our children will grow up to be who they can be in the best way possible. I've realised that I don't have to be perfect to use my strengths to bring up my kids as best as I can and to try and help other parents do the same. So since Saltor, I've trained as a toolbox facilitator running parenting courses in the community, including at this church. That's one river flowing out of my lake. 
I started writing for the Parenting Place website. I really enjoy writing as a way to express myself, another river flowing out of my lake. I've become confident in my ability to speak up and to share my voice. My grief still goes on. I still miss my dad desperately. I'd love for him to be sitting right there. But I don't let my grief silence me anymore. Despite my fears and my grief and my unsureness and my hesitation, I back myself because I know I need those rivers flowing out of my life. It's still scary. It's easier to be quiet and keep in the shadows. Music is another way I love expressing myself and it's a river I want to develop. <laughs> One day I'll be up there on that stage playing keyboard. Um, to finish, I'd like to share a verse that's always inspired me. can't see it very well, can you? I'll read it for you. It is absolutely clear that God has called you to a free life. Just make sure that you don't use this freedom as an excuse to do whatever you want to do and destroy your freedom. Rather, use your freedom to serve one another in love. That's how freedom grows. For everything we know about God's word is summed up in a single sentence. Love others as you love yourself. That's an act of true freedom. I've found freedom in finding my voice. Thanks for listening. Thank you. Oh, cheers. Thank you. Wonderful. Isn't it so good? So maybe you have a story you would like to share, nine-minute message. Maybe if you do, let me know. We could do another one of these, maybe, maybe not in two years' time, maybe a little bit sooner than that, but it's so good. So once again, let's just, let's just give a big round of applause um, for Jackie, uh, Ian, and Karen. Thank you guys for, um, for sharing with us, you know, like bringing something of yourself to the table. I think we're all blessed by it. Hey, once again, thanks for listening. And if you're in the Forest Hill or the Bays area of Auckland's North Shore, we would so love to have you at our next service this Sunday. You can get details on service times and more info on our kids and student environments by visiting svc.org.nz. That's svc.org.nz. Hope you have a great day and we'll see you next time here on the podcast.